Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. As National Family Caregiver Month comes to a close, we offer the last in a series of 45 Forward conversations on a critical topic for every family caregiver. How do you care for yourself? Because if you don't, you'll be of no use to the loved ones whose care is in your hands. In today's episode, we talk with Dawn Shedrick, a passionate caregiver advocate who offers support, lived experience, and practical tools to help family caregivers reduce stress and enhance their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. The founder of Gentex Training Consulting and her mother's primary caregiver for 27 years, Dawn knows that many caregivers feel isolated, overwhelmed, and burned out. She'll describe an array of effective mindfulness approaches and practices, including body scanning and the use of her courageous contemplation journal to help caregivers transform stress to serenity. Having delivered mental and emotional wellness talks and workshops for many organizations, such as GE, Canon, New York Mets, and J.P. Morgan Chase, Dawn is on a mission to reshape the narrative of what it means to be a caregiver. So now, folks, it's time to meet Dawn E. Shedrick. Dawn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, just for the our benefit of our, our audience. Um, so th- this is the uh, the trifecta of several shows in November, National Family Caregivers Month. And Dawn is a special one for me because caring for the caregiver is something that has really uh come to the fore as as you know, there are 53 million family caregivers in the, across the, the nation. And and somehow uh, many of us feel isolated in spite of this this number. So she provides a really valuable service to a lot of folks in, um, who are uh, dealing with these issues. So before we uh, dive into some of what she does, um, I always like to begin by having my guests tell me a little bit about their own journey, because a lot of them have interesting journeys that begin before 45 forward and afterward it's a continuing journey and it's often fascinating so i'm happy to to feature my guests as much as what they talk about so start out i'm and i i know from our previous talks that you you actually started out thinking you would work in finance <laughs> did yeah. not work that way uh so, well, tell, so tell, tell me a little give us a quick recap of how you got to where you are today yeah, actually, finance was my fifth major oh. in college. Okay. <laughs> I went into college listening to and heeding the advice, of course, of my family and loved ones because I loved math mm-hmm. throughout my entire school career up until I finished high school. I loved math. I was very good at it. I was in all advanced math classes. I was a year ahead of some of my peers Mm -hmm. you know in elementary and middle school and at first I thought I would be a math professor Mm. but then my family also often told me that I was business-minded so my first major was accounting after one semester of majoring in accounting I knew no offense to any accountants who are listening but I knew that that's not 
what I wanted to do. So I, you know, but I stayed within the business world and, you know, within business majors because I had scholarships, some of which had come from the business school at my alma mater. So I landed eventually on finance because at that time, working in finance, working on Wall Street seemed to be exciting. I did very well in my finance classes. My finance professors encouraged me. One of them even helped me get an internship on Wall Street. And the day that I was supposed to go shopping to buy suits and professional, you know, threads to wear to this internship, I realized that this was not what I wanted to do. I called my mother. This was back in the early 90s. So Mm -hmm. it was on a public payphone on a street corner. And I called my mother in tears. I was like, mommy, I don't want to do this. And she said, then you don't have to. So that was all I needed, right? I needed that validation from my mom. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to commit to something that's going to have you in tears before you even do it. So she and a counselor, a career counselor at my alma mater, Quinnipiac, then it was Quinnipiac College, now it's Quinnipiac University, you know, helped me figure out what did I want to do with my life. And I had I had been volunteering. My mother actually always involved my siblings and I in her volunteer work throughout our lives. I was very involved, not just on campus when I was in college, but in the greater Hamden and New Haven, Connecticut community. And it was in that moment that I said, I think I want to do some type of human services work, which eventually became social work. Mm. So I graduated with the finance degree because I didn't want to have to do any extra, you know, years. I wanted to finish my my bachelor's degree in four years. I didn't want to have to do anything more than that. But I actually had enough credits in sociology and anthropology that I was able to graduate with a minor in, I was able to call it social services, Mm. self-directed minor, which, you know, certainly helped when I eventually applied to graduate school for social work. So all of my professional experience has been in social work, human services. Right. Despite my degree. Yeah. Well, uh, I I would just say in addition to your degree, because I think that everything really... You know, your life builds in, in in aggregate ways in ways you don't really see until after the fact. And sometimes many years later, like like how your your mind was basically created and developed through, you know, studying finance and how that contributed in, in ways you can't really see about to your 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 social work and your skills there. So I believe nothing is lost, but but right. um to your to your point. You got to do what you want to do, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and um, uh, and I think what what your 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 mom told you and how you responded, I think, is is perfect in the way in an important notion, which is, you know, you needed that validation, you know, to say no, that's okay, you don't have to do that because I think that's what a lot of us don't get, and mm-hmm. and and to to extending to that, um, it's something that I think caregivers don't get. Right. I mean, that's one of the major issues about caregiving is a lack of validation for what people are doing and what they're contributing and how they're feeling about that. 
um, it's changing somewhat. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about how you've seen those changes. Cause I, I do see, you know, certainly, um, years ago, there are lots of folks who are family caregivers. Um, and that term wasn't even really that prevalent, right? It was like, no, I, I'm just, I'm just their daughter, you know, or I'm just a son, you know? Absolutely. Uh, that was the case with me for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was many years into caring for my mom it might have been around eight years if i'm Mm. not mistaken maybe a little less i was in therapy and it was my therapist who literally said do you realize you are a caregiver i've never heard you you use that term and i was like hmm and just like you said it for me it was just i was helping my mom you know I wasn't aware of that I, you know, that there was an identity attached to it or even a, you know, a term Mm -hmm. that was attached to it. So that was what really opened me up Mm -hmm. to being conscious of my, you know, role and owning it, owning my role as a caregiver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything that, that in your experience that has contributed to this growing public awareness of the of you know caregiving as a, a sort of an essential component to life well i think I, I definitely think the internet and social media has helped with mm-hmm. raising awareness in that way but i also believe that unfortunately part of it is that we caregivers have absolutely reached like a crisis point i call it and many you know others call it a caregiving crisis mm-hmm. because we are at a point where caregiver wellness, you know, holistic wellness, not just mental, not just emotional, but caregiver wellness is at a crisis point where, you know, additional uh, support that is specific to caregivers is absolutely necessary. The systems that actually, what I say, like make this job necessary also need some repair. And so I think all of that has just intersected in this moment that we're in, where, you know, there is more awareness. And there are some moves that are being made, but, you know, just that there's more awareness. Because, as you said, as of 2020, there are at least 53 million. Like that, just saying that number always does something to me. I can't just say it to say it. 53 million care you know folks who are caring for an adult in the united states 53 million that's such a large chunk you know of the united states population and those numbers came out right before covid mm-hmm. so that those number that number doesn't even factor in caregivers who were either reactivated because of covid new caregivers because of covid and the long term effects of covid so i like i said i think all of that comes together to in the least enhance awareness of caregivers and our experiences and our needs yeah i i agree and i think that certainly um covid um put a spotlight on this um especially because of the isolation created people so that it made um it made you know much more difficult (laughs) to do it Mm -hmm. uh and certainly things are beginning by caregiving for um, the elderly in nursing homes, but you know that that was clearly a crisis. We were not prepared for it. Um, 
Uh, and I don't think it's right to just to to target nursing homes because I think even before the COVID, we were not focused on how to do that well. So, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, and I think that just the pervasiveness of it, right? That people, um, uh, you know, it's it's not like a caregivers; they're not a special interest group. They're all of us, you know, and people. Absolutely. You know, you'd go into a room and you'd start describing something in within minutes you could have 10 conversations with people who are like well okay not the same but i'm dealing with this or that mm-hmm. or this and so i think it's that kind of prevalence in our society and, and you know this these are things that were always there but i think um we've made it more difficult for ourselves because of the way uh, we've created um i guess ambitions and goals of families to like um you know, certainly in my family, my parents said, oh, you know, go get educated, get the best education, go off and do whatever you want, anywhere you want, every, you know, in any, any place you want. So that's great until people get older and it's like, okay, how are you going to take care of me? Right. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. I think even in some people refer to our generation because we've done the same thing with our kids as the elder orphans. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, eh, ain't nobody going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's i don't think that's true but it does you know uh, point out the 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 challenge um so so let's just dive into some of the things you you do um uh um dawn in terms of uh well, well what are the some some of the specific concerns that uh you know you see uh and caregivers come to you with with what their challenges are yeah and so i even though i am a, a, a licensed clinical social worker I'm not currently in clinical practice per mm-hmm. se. Um, I do have um, a contract with United Healthcare that's very specific, and it's not specific to caregivers. However, most of my work through my training, consulting, coaching work, speaking, um, and just the older I get, the more caregivers I know within my, you know, within my personal and professional circles. I just hear a lot about the stress, the overwhelm and burnout and not, not, I don't, I don't say this to minimize anyone caregiver or not who experiences stress and burnout, but it's not your run of the mill, you know, stress and overwhelm. Like this, these are folks who myself included at times who are literally, you know, navigating between their own work, life, raising families, caring for, you know, a loved one, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Um, And the literal, like, practical, you know, rigors of each of those responsibilities and roles. And so a lot of what I hear about is extreme overwhelm, extreme burnout, isolation and and the part that breaks my heart the most is like a belief that it's not going to change and there's not going to be any relief until either the person they're caring for passes away or their illness may be resolved or that the caregiver themselves passes away and i hear that a lot yeah wow yeah, I think that um, uh, one of the things that that has come to the fore is that is the health of the caregivers. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're worried about the health of the care recipient, 
your loved one. But in fact, uh, there then, uh, as you've uh, suggested, there are studies that show that the impact of the stress of caregiving on the health of caregivers mm. is, is a real concern. Um, and um, uh, you, you can't ignore it. You know, as I said in the intro, if, if you're not taking care of yourself, you, you're not going to take care of the one you care for. Um, so, so that's a, a real concern. Um, I think another thing that I, I've heard is that, and, and I alluded to this earlier, is just the feeling of, um, well, there's a whole cauldron of, of emotions that are kind of mixed up, right? And so some of it is, uh, um, it's isolation, there's depression, there's loneliness, the feeling of invisibility, you know, like people don't see me, they don't come visit, I don't, I don't go out, I don't, I feel constrained from going out. Um, uh, and then there's also um, uh, just <laughs> then you feel like feelings of anger and guilt <laughs> that you that and you're resentment. feeling, yeah, and resentment. So, mm -hmm. um, but so well, there's a lot to talk about here. So, but well, we are coming up with a break. So, um, uh, we're going to just take a quick break, but but it's going to be a quick break. So, uh, when we come back, folks, we'll be talking much more with caregiver advocate Dawn Shedrick. Um, and so don't go anywhere. Um, much more to talk about. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. 
Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with John Shedrick, a caregiver advocate and founder of Gentex Training and Consulting. Uh, now, before we continue our conversation, I just wanted to mention that as we're talking about uh, Dawn's work, um, I want to mention you can find out much more about it at uh, her website, uh, which is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's gentextraining.com. Yep. J-E-N-T-E-X training.com. Correct. Good. And we'll mention it again at the end of the show in case you missed it, but but I just wanted to, there's a lot of, a lot of good content there, so I don't want to let you know all about that. So, so before the break, we were talking about a lot of the emotions and feelings about that we all have as as family caregivers, and some of them about, you know, they're they're some of them feelings we don't want to have, like anger and guilt and sadness. Um, and you know, interestingly, it's 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 hard because you know you're you're doing this. Um, you're, you're it's a gift of love, and yet somehow you need to balance it with as you point out, resentment and anger. So mm-hmm. what do you tell people? Uh, how do they, how do you manage this balance of emotions? I know what opened this up for me and helped me emotionally was realizing with support and even just myself is to, well, to remember that sadness, anger are primary emotions, right? And our our emotions do have value, but we are still conditioned to not feel, you know, to not want to feel the not so warm and fuzzy emotions. We are conditioned to almost be ashamed, right? Of, of being angry, of being resentful, of feeling guilty right? Those emotions are put forth to us as what we shouldn't feel. So there's a shame element to even feeling those emotions. And when you couple that with the way that we are conditioned around caregiving, right? That, you know, that it's what we're supposed to do. You know, a lot of folks culturally, it's just what we're expected to do, or that it is, it's an act of love. And it's this, you know, altruistic, you know, thing that we do for those that we love. And for many people, that may be the case. But with us being groomed and conditioned in that way, it doesn't leave space for us to not be ashamed of expressing the anger, of of feeling the guilt, of feeling the resentment. And I know for me, once that was normalized for me, and I've been able to share that, you know, with others, that it can make a difference, right? Like your anger is valid. If you are one of several siblings caring for a parent and none of the rest of your siblings, right, are mm-hmm. contributing in any way, they're not even providing you with emotional support, it's okay to like feel angry. It's okay to be resentful when you are caring for this loved one and other family members who could be supporting you are going on vacation or buying new homes or just simply doing things that you either can't readily do or that you have to put so much effort into coordinating. Mm-hmm. And so the feelings themselves are the feelings. I think what gets us into trouble is how we behave as a result of those feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So I can be angry, but um, no, it's not really appropriate for me to beat, you know, beat somebody up, you know, because I'm feeling angry, right? So 
to focus on normalizing the emotional responses in this caregiving life and in the caregiving role is a huge step for many people. Yeah. And I think for me, um, some of these aha moments are, you know, that this is um, points out, you know, the the spectrum of caregiving across a lifetime, because um, I remember, you know, when you're dealing with a loved one and say, boy, this is a lot of work, you know, and, and it's disruptive of your life. Um, But then to think back, like, oh, yeah, when I was raising my children, and they were very young, um, that was extremely disruptive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? Those first several months, right, which are like exhausting. And you're just doing, uh, you know, all you're doing is feeding, cleaning poop, you know, putting them to sleep, you know, dealing with crying. Um, And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, hmm, all these parenting books didn't mention this. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't talk about how, how you would feel about, you know, with the, the your anger, just out of pure exhaustion. And mm-hmm. I think that was a lot of it. You, you never got to sleep, you know, for six mm-hmm. months. Um, and so, so that's something that you talked about, too, a lot. It's just acknowledging against, again, the health issues and just the, the impact on you physically. Um, so let's let's segue a little bit about that, and because one of the things, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, about one of the conversations that I was involved with, with you with one of your your mm-hmm. um, uh, your uh, circle of caregiving conversations was, uh, I love this line from one one of the women who was uh, in the conversation saying. I don't even know what kind of tired I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it tired from the day? Is it tired of the work? Is it tired from the caregiving? And so talk about, you know, the the reality of what you said, which is uh, fatigue is real. Oh, yeah. And depending on the needs of the person you're caring for, right, they're absolutely, to some degree, there's often a physical toll. But depending upon, you know, the specifics of your caregiving role, there can be extreme physical fatigue. Like in my case, so my mother has progressive multiple sclerosis and which literally has progressed throughout my lifetime. Um, She traces her earliest symptoms back to 1971. I was born in 74. So, you know, it literally has progressed and it really didn't take off until I was in high school. And in the past few years since, COVID, you know, there have been years where I phys- I haven't, she hasn't required a lot of physical assistance, or at least from me. But since COVID, um, she has started to slow down. She just turned 76 on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And since she has slowed down, since there has been some recent progression with the MS and some other, you know, physical issues, she now requires daily physical support getting in and out of bed, which for a while she could do that herself to an extent. And so in COVID, in the beginning of COVID, when we lost our home health aides, understandably, because of this mysterious, you know, illness that was going around, I became the full-time home health aide in addition to working and running my business and teaching. And I was 
you know, starting to develop lower back issues, which I had never had in my entire life. I've had many other things, but I never, ever had back issues until, and I was following all of the protocols. I had been trained on how to use a Hoyer lift, but, and my mother's not the heaviest, you know, person in the world by far, but, you know, lifting a person, even a lightweight one, in a Hoyer lift twice a day, sometimes four times a day, um, started to take its toll. Mm -hmm. So in addition to everything else I had to do to care for her, run my business, you know, take care of myself, we were on lockdown. So since 2021, you know, even for me, like I have experienced the physical toll of caregiving. I have more support now, but at the same time, and part of that conversation, if you recall, that we were having was, I'm also menopausal. I'm pairing, you know, menopausal at this point, um, which is why that statement that you shared resonated with me. Is it fatigue from caregiving? Is it fatigue from, you know, just working? Is it fatigue from menopause? It's probably a combination of all of that. But there absolutely is a physical toll that this can take that often, especially as, you know, we age as caregivers, that intersects with just aging, you know, and the impact of aging. So it can be quite exhausting. There are plenty of nights on the nights that I put my mom in bed. There are plenty of nights that, you know, I collapse, you know, mm-hmm. after that because of, yeah, because it does take a toll. Yeah. Are there any particular red flags that you sort of uh, caution people to to look out for? I think in a general sense, is to listen to your body, is to pay mm-hmm. attention to your body. Like when I started having like the lower back issues, which I'm happy to say I have no no longer, I eventually went, you know, to my doctor and um, I was actually going to, initially was going to have to start physical therapy, but they just shared, you know, with me and the home health agency also shared some additional tips and tricks for operating the Hoya lift so that it wouldn't put so much stress and strain on my back. And I had been using a Hoya lift off and on for years, but again, I didn't, she didn't necessarily need it every day. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm always one when I don't feel well, I go to the doctor or urgent care. Like I'm not one to let anything like that lapse. So what I tell caregivers that I, you know, speak with and interact with now is to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves listen to your body don't let it you know linger because it's it's interesting because we may experience the fatigue and other you know bodily distress as a result of making sure the person you're caring for is getting what they need right so we get to do that for ourselves as well yeah that's a good point and i think that um um so more specifically to, with respect to this is sort of generalizable. It's like if something is happening, pay attention and act early. Don't let it, mm-hmm. you know, right? I mean, just like if you have other kinds of symptoms, the earlier you deal with them, the better you're going to be as opposed to letting them just persist and, and mm-hmm. get worse. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the practices and approaches that um, – uh, I was um, fortunate to experience in one of your presentations was uh, a notion called uh, body scanning. Mm-hmm. So tell us what that's about. Body scanning is a form of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness, as 
you know, the umbrella, you know, practice has, and I say this, it's, it's one of the thing, one of the things and one of the practices that I believe has saved my life, you know, mm-hmm. particularly in my caregiving journey and body scanning is a particular practice or technique that operationalizes what I just said about listening to our body. And so body scanning first requires us to be present. It requires us to, we don't always have to be still, but it requires you to be present. It doesn't take that much time, but it really is about being conscious and just identifying the places within the body that don't feel right. (laughs) You know, there might be pain, there might be discomfort, you might just get like an energetic, you know, indication about something going on. And it just allows you to be present with that so that it's enhancing your awareness so that hopefully you will do something about it, whether it's just take a nap, whether it's yeah, reach out to a medical professional or, you know, stretch. If you, you know, notice that there's some tightness, you know, somewhere I hold tightness in my neck and my shoulders So whenever, you know, a lot of the time that comes up for me in my body scanning where I can, I definitely notice the tightness. And so, like I said, it could be something as simple as stretching or maybe if you notice, you know, some discomfort or even pain somewhere that might require, you know, some medical attention. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned just the notion of sensory soothing. So Mm -hmm. focusing on the senses. Yes. So sensory soothing techniques and practices, and there are many, um, actually, like there's science that proves that sensory soothing practices can actually enhance our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual wellness and health. So there are sensory soothing practices that actually help heal like psychological trauma, that heal, you know, that can help improve depression and anxiety. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is a lot of times we actually do engage in sensory soothing and might not realize it, right? Mm-hmm. So it may sound like this esoteric mm-hmm. you know, sensory soothing. And what does that involve exactly? What is... It involves literally like engaging one or more, but generally one at a time of the senses, right? Okay. So listening to music that you like and it doesn't have to be classical music which classical music is great right so you're having that that auditory experience of listening to something that gives you some sort of a soothing effect right Mm -hmm. so listening to music um for me well it's a multi-sensory sensory experience when i'm near the ocean the sound of the ocean, and I have playlists, you know, of water sounds and natural water sounds, the ocean streams, just the sound of the ocean calms me in a way that a lot of other things don't, right? It could be, do you like to look at a particular color? Do you like to look at a particular scene? If you live in a space or work in a space where you sit near a window and you just love the scenery, Taking in that scenery, that's a visual, like, you know, soothing um, technique. Enjoy and savor the taste of what you may be taking in and eating, right? So I was eating some apple slices 
this morning. And initially I was rushing because there were a few things I wanted to do before I started my work day. And then I happened to have um, a jar of peanut butter out on the counter. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to sit down for a few minutes and I'm going to dip these apples in this peanut butter because I love you know, dipping apple slices in peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And I just savored it. And it might, it, I don't think it was more than two minutes that it took me to eat, you know, but I was present and I was savoring just the flavors, you know, the marriage of the peanut butter and the Granny Smith apple slices, that sensory soothing. The, I mean, yes, we can take the baths. You can, you know, you can light incense or diffuse essential oils or just sniff your favorite cologne, right? Or perfume, or, you know, I love the smell of of cut grass, fresh cut grass, right? Mm-hmm. That always soothes me. And so it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. It often isn't. And as a mindfulness practice, again, it just requires us to be present to it. And like I say, savor it. For me, it's like savor, savor that. What does it, what does it feel like when you you know, rub your hand across. I have a fuzzy, a fuzzy blanket. It's actually a snuggie that I love. <laughs> and so I'll be sitting there and I just love to just rub my hand along the fuzziness of it and allow yourself, you know, to take in that experience. And that is a mindfulness practice that that is very healing. And again, it doesn't require a lot of time. To yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. I think that you mentioned too, it's, it's sort of part of the, uh, of what you was talking about as well as sort of being intentional about prioritizing yourself. And so in this case, it's about prioritizing what it is, what is it for that soothes you in particular? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, um, yeah, we have, there are a few other things I'd like to discuss. Uh, you talk about creating healthy boundaries, uh, making caregiving part of your work day so it doesn't it, it's an integral part of it um so uh the the boundaries part of it i think is a is a big issue um because i think that sometimes you you get yeah that's part of the invisibility your life disappears you know in the in the caregiving um and and that's something that you've got to be careful of because you've got to again prioritize who you are not just not you are a caregiver that's a big part of your life but that's not all you do right um so um we are going to uh, come up with another uh, short break now but i want to talk a little bit more of that when we come back about how it is that you create those boundaries and and what do you do and what are some of the challenges of doing that so uh but folks we are going to take another short break when we come back uh, don't go anywhere we'll be talking much more with dawn shedrick Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Dawn Shedrick, caregiver advocate, founder of Gentex Training and Consulting, and author of Courageous Contemplation, a guided journal for family caregivers of the chronically ill, disabled, and elderly loved ones. So I, I do want to talk more about this journal, but before we do that, I want to just continue a bit of the conversation before the break, which was about sort of the intentionality of, of prioritizing yourself and creating healthy boundaries and sort of keeping your identity, you know, amid the the sometimes overwhelming quality of caregiving. So what, any thoughts about that, additional thoughts about how people can think more clearly about how to do that? Yeah, um, boundaries in particular is so important. And I'll tell on myself because I'm 49 years old. And for the first 45, 46 years of my life, I was like a hot mess when it came mm. to boundaries. In in terms of like I was a I was a yes girl. And it was hard for me to say no to people. It was hard for me, right? And it just took on way too much. And when you're doing that, you're caring for someone, you know, you're providing care, building a business, trying to just have a life in the in the midst of all that, it becomes incredibly over, incredibly overwhelming. It impacted my health. And I own that. That in particular, that was me. And I can't put that on anybody else. Um, and what I, what I tell people, because I don't want people to go through what I went through in terms of the physical distress, being hospitalized for exhaustion and dehydration. When I, the dehydration piece was really what rocked my mind because mm. I, for pretty much all of my adult life, I drink at least a gallon of water a day, like when people say they don't like water, I'm just like, what does that mean? I just I drink water constantly throughout the day. And I don't want people to have to go through that in order to understand that it 
that we get to prioritize our care, right? We, what are all the sayings, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself. Like when a plane is in distress and those masks come down, they, and they tell you sometimes, I was just on a flight when I went you know, on vacation a few weeks ago and on the return flight, the flight attendant specifically said, you have to put your mask on first, even before you assist your infant, your child, your baby, who, of course, you're going to do what you have to do to save your child. But because of the change and the rapid change in cabin pressure, you have to put yours on first or else you can't help that baby, right? And so for a lot of us, myself included, it was really about giving ourselves that permission. For me, it was giving myself permission to put up boundaries I had to heal all of the stuff that made it hard for me to say no for so many years, right? I had to find ways to either say no or to renegotiate, like all of that, because it got to a point where having too many commitments and too many things on my plate was literally affecting my health. And so it isn't always, and I venture to guess for many of us, it's not necessarily, I mean, we may, we may have epiphanies and aha moments. But I think for many of us, it there's an unlearning and a healing process so that we can get to a point where we prioritize ourselves. And I I look forward to, or even if it happens after I, you know, transition out of this life, but I look forward to a time where culturally we are collectively prioritizing ourselves and our care and understanding that even in doing that, it's it Yes, we can still take care of others, but we're just, for me, I'd like to say we're, we're taking care of ourselves and we're extending our expiration date so that we can continue to care for others in the ways that we would like to be able to, so that we're healthy enough to do that. Right. Um, so one of the things I, I want to talk about a little bit more, too, is that the fact that, uh, you know, that is how you provide you provide support for people and that people do need support so um certainly you need to take responsibility for yourself but there i think one of the issues is um as you pointed out is that people don't ask for help when oh, they yeah. need it yeah and and often they don't ask for help in specific ways um now but but sometimes it's it's just a matter of 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 being in engagement with people so you have a couple you have a couple of things first of all let's let's talk about your journal the uh you just published courageous contemplation a guided journal for family caregivers of the chronically ill disabled and elderly loved ones so why did you decide to write this and and how are people using it as a healing space yeah so there's a story okay <laughs> um i have been a lifelong journaler myself mm -hmm. back when i was growing up the 80s, which really shaped me, that was when they were still called diaries. And one of my first diaries had the lock on it <laughs> because, you know, my sister, I didn't want my sister reading all my secrets and my deepest thoughts. And that has carried, you know, with me throughout my life. And in particular, journaling has been a soft space, creative space for me in my caregiving journey. So... And I often read back through my old journals just to revisit, just to sometimes just to remember mm -hmm. or to just gauge, you know, my growth or, you know, my evolution. 
So a few years ago, I was reading through a particular journal and I mentioned to my sister that in reading my entries at that time, which was at a time when my mother was at a particular, she had an MS exacerbation or a flare up. And it was one of those milestones like in her journey where her, you know, the condition advanced. And my sister said, I said to my sister, there are themes that are coming up when I'm reading the caregiving related entries. And it they look, they read as if I was responding to a prompt, even though I wasn't. Back then it was just, you know, free writing. And so my sister said, well, that sounds interesting because you've always said that you would love to create a journal one day. What if you create a journal for caregivers? And I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. But I didn't do anything with it for a couple mm. of years. Of course not. <laughs> until, right? Until the summer of 2022, last year, mm-hmm. my mom hit another milestone in her journey. And um, the second half of 2022, from the summer forward, was quite challenging. And we had a few really serious, critical you know, moments. And I was experiencing all of the you know, range of emotions that come with that, including anticipatory grief. And I was journaling so much that like literally, because, you know, we type and we're on the internet so much, my hand would cramp, but I would still keep writing. And that's during one of those writing sessions is when I had my aha moment, because at the same time that I was journaling, I've also, I pretty much have been in consistent conversation with friends colleagues who are or have been caregivers, and I'm encouraging folks to write or to find ways to be creative and express themselves. And then it just came back to me that my sister made this amazing suggestion. And that was towards the end of the summer, like early fall of 2022. And I just it just the idea and the project just took off from there. And I decided, even though I had a few connections, folks who were willing to connect me with folks in the publishing industry, you know, literary world, I eventually decided that I wanted to self-publish. Mm-hmm. So that was a, has, and continues to be a journey about publishing a book, which I've never done. But what I did was I went back, I think I went back in my journals as far as 2005, because I I can't find a few of my journals from 1996 when I started this journey, but I went back and pulled out some themes and developed some prompts based on, you know, what I had written and pulled those together and just developed the vision and the concept for the journal because I realized, and of course my sister lovingly, you know, reminded me that, you know, there's a demand for this. And, you know, um, you know that journaling and writing and creative expression has helped in your healing along the way as a caregiver. Now you have an opportunity to offer that, you know, to others. So she was birthed, aka published, uh, July of this year. Right. And, And where can people get a hold of this? People can get a hold of this on gentextraining.com. There is okay. a, there's a tab in the menu for a guided journal. It is a guided journal that includes reflection prompts, some affirmations, caregiver-specific affirmations, free space for doodling and creating, 
and you know free space for writing. There's also an emotions wheel to help folks expand their language for emotions, mm-hmm. be able to name emotions. There are many, many, many you know specific emotions. So there's a wheel, the emotions wheel in there to support folks with right. that as a starting point. No, there's one other thing I wanted to mention uh, as we come to a close, but um, is your uh, creative contemplation writing circle for caregivers, which I was uh, privileged to be a part of one of your yes, sessions. So, so tell me a little bit about that, you know, in the next minute or so. Absolutely. So I wanted to, initially I had an idea to set, to start a support group, like an mm-hmm. online support group, because I wanted to, I wanted a space that folks outside of my immediate geographic area on Long Island could access. And so I said, okay, I can do an online support group. But then I just felt like I wanted to put a spin on it, Mm -hmm. a different spin on it instead of a traditional support group, which are very, you know, they're helpful and they're amazing. I've been in support groups. But then it just came to me at the time that I was also working on the book and the marketing and how am I going to put this out in the world? And I was like, this could be another opportunity, an opportunity for folks to come together in community, a creative community, to write together, to reflect on our experiences as caregivers, but also to like be creative and to create together. And so creative contemplation was birthed and we meet generally on the last Saturday of the month. It's free. Um, folks can show up when they can. You don't have to commit every month, although it's great, you know, for folks who can. And so we start off with a creative activity this month. You know, we wrote poetry together, as you know, and then we take time to reflect and write um, on a reflection prompt about caregiving. And yeah, that's it. That's great. That's great. Um, And and how can people join the, the group or find out about it? They can find out about that. Again, on the website, gentextraining.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is The Caregivers Click. Okay. And I, Dawn Shedrick, am on LinkedIn. Please okay. you know, connect with me. I'm active on LinkedIn. Okay. And you can also look me up, Dawn Shedrick, on Instagram. Great. Okay. So, Dawn, there's always uh, much more to talk about with you, uh, but uh, we'll have to leave it there for today. Uh, But once again, folks, uh, tell your friends if they missed my conversation with Dawn today, they can still listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com to search for my show, 45 Forward. You can find it on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Art Height Radio, or go to my website, rowellresources.com, and click on the 45 Forward tab. Uh, so be sure to join me next Monday at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Ben Lewin, the author of Inside Science, who reflects on how contemporary scientific research is conducted and takes on a much debated question today, what is in fact science and how this affect us as we age? So then, until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.